professionals talk was all about where to even begin with these kinds of conversations so my little acronym that i i made um is is called blend it blend it okay and nice. easy to remember that's great <laughs> yes well i hope so <laughs> uh blend it stands for believe for, for the b l is listen e is evoke n is no bossing d is desire and then it stands for information and timed so I'm going to go through each of those in turn to, to explain how I managed to implement these things in my uh, 10 minutes. And I'm actually, it seems more fortunate than a lot of doctors in the US because I have 10 minutes rather than seven and a half. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Eat Real to Heal podcast. I am your host, Nicolette Richet, and this is a show where we bring together experts, where we bring together clients of mine that have used food as medicine to reverse disease, the scientists, the doctors, the experts in the field that know about all the existing research in the plant-based world. It's been there for over 150 to 200 years. You've heard me say that before, if you've listened to the show before. And the people we bring on to the show are the people that are not only trained as medical doctors, but they also went further and they explored the existing research that has been out there for a long time about plant-based nutrition, metabolic nutritional therapies that have the power to reverse our chronic disease epidemic that we are faced with right now. So that's what our show is about. And when we bring clients on the show, our clients often have tried every single medical intervention that they were able to access. A lot of them spend 20,000, 30,000. One client spent $90,000 trying to reverse their chronic health issues that they and their family were suffering from. And when they come to me, it's usually as a last ditch effort. I often say it's when they hit rock bottom, when they're not able to get help anymore from their medical teams and their health practitioners or alternative healthcare practitioners. And they come looking for results. And the last thing they do is often turn to food as medicine. And that's often because we don't know about the power of food to heal the body because we've been marketed to think that we need high amounts of meat, high amounts of dairy, that if we don't have the dairy, we won't get our calcium. If we don't eat the meat, we won't get our protein. But these are all myths that have been perpetuated by marketing agencies, by the food industry, by lobbyists, and so on. And also by ill-informed doctors. And it's not their fault. When you go to school, you have a set amount of time for which you can learn something. So a curriculum is designed somebody has to decide what goes into the curriculum. Anytime you decide what stays in the curriculum of what will be taught to the students, automatically you know that you are leaving out bodies and bodies and bodies of literature and research and studies and science and readings that are just not included, which means you're not gonna have access to them unless you go looking for them. So, I say this because on this show, we have a very special guest. She is known as the plant-based doctor from the UK, Dr. Gemma Newman. And when I invited Dr. Gemma Newman to come onto the show, I loved the podcast that she had done with Rich Roll. 
that's R-I-C-H-R-O-L-L. The links will be below. If you are not familiar with his podcast, you need to subscribe. Incredible information via his podcast. So that was the first time that I had come across Dr. Gemma Newman. Despite you know, knowing about the dozens and of medical, plant-based medical doctors that exist in North America, I wasn't sure about those that existed in the UK. But let me tell you a little bit about who Dr. Gemma Newman is. She's a senior partner at a family medical practice in the UK. She studied medicine at the University of Wales College of Medicine. She has several specialties as a doctor, including elderly care, endocrinology, pediatrics, obstetrics, gynecology, psychiatry, um, general surgery, urology, vascular surgery, Uh, rehabilitation medicine and at the end she decided to settle in on general practice because that's where she had access to changing people's lives. Um, She is also into holistic health so she understands that our body is a complex whole it's not individualized parts that are not connected but they're one complete whole. She's a plant-based nutrition and lifestyle medicine expert and she believes that the body, mind, and soul are not separate. So if you're out there looking for a medical doctor, Dr. Newman, she really is their number one on my list of doctors to go and to support your family and to support your own health. She is all about addressing the root cause of stress and disconnection that occurs in the body between the mind, body, and soul. And as well, she's an advisory board member of the plant-based health professionals of the UK. Dr. Gemma Newman was so eloquent on Ritual's podcast. So incredibly smart. She nailed the science as we know it today, as we've known it for a long time. She's intuitive. She is able to articulate the information that she's gathered in such a way that even if you've never studied nutrition before, you will pick up what she's putting down so easily. It'll resonate with you and it will actually ignite your innate knowing that clean, real, unprocessed food is ultimately what is best for your body. Better than any turmeric infused box of Cheerios or better than any vegan gluten-free product that is out there in a package or box on the shelf. That stuff doesn't contain real nutrients, living nutrients, all the minerals and enzymes and macronutrients and micronutrients that your body needs. But Gemma has a way of expressing her knowledge around plant-based eating in such a way that I promise you listen to Ritual's podcast, you will be blown away by the information and it will motivate and empower you to start implementing these changes today. But when I had her, invited her onto the show, I wanted to carry that conversation forward. And as many of you know, I don't like to repeat the information that is in somebody else's podcast. I'd rather just share their podcast with you. You listen to it first, and then you dive into our show and we will pick up where the other podcaster left off. So today we started our conversation before we started recording really with me asking her and wanting to know like what is it like to be a plant-based doctor and from there that led to an incredible discussion and which led to the information contained in the in this podcast 
at the end of the show, I had shivers because I have been to so many conferences. I have been to so many events. I've read books. I've read scientific articles that are published in world-renowned medical journals. I have been working with clients in and out for the last 11 years, teaching um, food as medicine and food as environmental health for the last 22 plus years. And in all of my knowledge journeys, my inquiries, my research, there's always been one gap that hasn't been able to be filled. And it's how do we inspire people to change and how do we get medical doctors to want to absorb the literature and the information about plant-based living as a way to reverse chronic disease? And how do we get doctors to be able to share this information with their patients, especially when our medical appointments are only seven and a half minutes, maybe 10 minutes long at most. So how do we do that? And in all of these years, we have found an answer. And Gemma Newman, Dr. Newman, offers a brilliant way that doctors can work with patients while still holding on to their medical license. They don't need to let it go, where they can actually empower their patients to make life-changing decisions that will not only change their health and their life, but those patients will go off and influence their families as well. Because we do not need to be living with 90% of these chronic diseases, like the diabetes and infertility and autoimmune disorders and mental health issues and heart disease. Uh, that is really killing our developing countries, really all the citizens in our developing countries. And what Dr. Gemma Newman offers to physicians is truly priceless. So if you're listening to this podcast, please share this information with everyone that you know. Send it to your family doctor. Tell them that it's important that they listen to this episode. It's important that they listen to Rich Roll's episode because that gets more into the how of and, and the what of plant-based living. Whereas Dr. Gemma Newman, she dives into the why. Why you want to make these changes and why doctors can facilitate these changes and help their patients make these changes. It is an incredible show. And on her website, she has a brilliant quote by Archbishop Desmond Tutu. And he's been quoted as saying, there comes a point where we need to stop just pulling people out of the river. We need to go upstream and find out why they're falling in. And that's exactly what Dr. Newman has done and it's exactly what she does now. She no longer lets her patients float aimlessly down the river headed for that steep waterfall. She is there at the tributary at the gate, encouraging them, empowering them, motivating them, and really giving them autonomy so that they can stand tall the river is actually not that deep. It's actually quite shallow. They can stand tall in that river and step off onto the bank and start making life-changing decisions for themselves. So please share this podcast with others. It is an important show, one of the most important that we've ever had on our Eat Real to Heal podcast, and it needs to be listened to by everyone. Now, before we dive in, 
it is time for a few updates from the Green Mustache Holding Company, which includes Richer Health Consulting, Richer Health Nutrition and Detox Wellness Center, and our Sea to Sky Thrivers charity that we have. Um, and what we have going on is really exciting. Number one, our book has been a number one bestseller on Amazon for the past year, and it's been flying off the shelves. So we have a link below. If you go to that link, you can actually get our book for $9.95 instead of $24.95. And it's an incredible value. We want everyone out there to have a copy of our book. It's an incredible company that has set this up for us, offering this discount to our listeners. So please go to that link. Also, if you happen to be in the British Columbia region, um, that's Western Canada, and you happen to be visiting please stop by one of our green mustache cafes. If you're local, you're probably eating there already. Um, and we thank you for trying it if you've never been there. But head in there because we have $20 preloaded gift cards that you can get our green mustache cafe. The value is brilliant. Um, these ultimate gifts that you can give at Christmas, you can give away these gift cards to your family members. Take them out on a date. If they've never eaten plant-based whole food, organic, unrefined, fully whole food that's delicious and nutritious, take them there on a date this holiday season, get them a gift card and let them try something different. Open up their palate, open up their taste buds to the power of nutrient dense, delicious food that we serve at the Green Mustache Cafes. Having said that, I also want you to note that the Green Mustache will be coming to New York City. Uh, we'll have 10 locations opening up there, which is super exciting. So stay tuned as we announce um, the opening of the first cafe in New York. We also have other incredible offerings that we have coming up, but you're going to have to jump onto our website at Richer Health Nutrition and Detox site, links below as well, as we get ready to announce our seven retreats that we're offering in 2020 and exciting new offerings for you. So check us out, learn about all the education programs that we're doing, the events that we have coming up, um, check out one of our cafes and give the gift of ultimate health this holiday season because it's truly the number one gift that everybody needs more than anything, more than any shirt, more than any hat or toy or technology gadget. People need health today. Our planet needs health. So give the gift of ultimate health. Check out the green mustache. We have gifts for you that you can get for your loved ones. So back to our podcast with Gemma Newman. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you share it. Email us, message us, tell us what you think and share it with everyone you know. Eat well, do well. Dr. Gemma Newman, it is such a pleasure to have you on our Eat Real to Heal podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, I almost wish that we had been recording our conversation just prior to hitting record because we covered already so many great topics, all of which could be their own individual podcast. And on today's show, we are going to be diving into 
what it's like to be the plant-based doctor of the UK. And I, in Rituals podcast, which I want everyone who's listening to go to Rituals podcast, we're going to have the show in the link in the show notes. And I want you to listen to that because that's where Gemma dives deep into the actual science behind all the macronutrients. So all the questions you want to know around like where am I going to get my protein? Aren't carbs bad for me? Um, what about fat? Our brains need fat. I mean, you really go deep into everything into that podcast, don't you? I do. Uh, it was quite funny because I, I wasn't quite sure what to expect. There was no sort of prep for that. And I knew I was sitting on a couch talking to Rich and I knew that we had an audience and I knew that we were recording a podcast. So I thought <laughs> it, was like, it was sort of like a three-way conversation, but it was actually so natural and um, it flowed so well. And he's so good at getting the best out of his uh, interviewees. So yeah, it felt like we, that we made a little bit of magic that day. So thank you for you. recommending it. You did make magic that day. And as I was saying, we use that podcast and uh, refer it out to all of our clients and our students and the physicians that we work with. And I mean, anybody who wants to learn about plant-based nutrition and because there's so many questions that people have, it's so foreign to them because we've been told for so long, we need to have dairy and cheese and um, meat. And you know that I even just heard the other day, there's a chef who refuses to use any vegetables in his entire restaurant menu. He's like anti-vegetables. Oh, wow. I don't I think I fancy that restaurant very much. No, and <laughs> I would warn against most people from eating at that restaurant too much. Um, so what we're gonna dive into today is I really want uh, to dive into what it's like to be a plant-based doctor because in the US, in Canada, it's not that easy to make that switch. Well, according to the physicians that I've met, number one, a lot of them don't have the science. And number two, they don't know how to interact with the patients to be able to share this information with their patients in a seven and a half minute um, doctor's appointment. Yeah. So before we dive in, I would just love to recap one of the stories that you shared on the Ritual Podcast in light of Game Changers, the amazing documentary that everybody needs to watch. But just if you can share how you ended up um, falling into this um, new world of yours and becoming the plant-based doctor, if you could just recap that story with your husband, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. So my husband was actually my greatest teacher in all this, and he's not a doctor, so that's where it all began. Um, he was training for his marathon he, he was doing marathon running and he was getting injury after injury and inflammation having to stop his training and he once he'd signed up for the next london marathon he wanted things to be quite different because he was quite fed up with how things worked out with his training so he decided to do a little bit of research and so uh, I don't know whether he stumbled upon it or whether he'd made some targeted research, but he thought to himself, well, if I'm struggling to run a normal marathon, why don't I read up on um, how people run ultra marathons? Because surely if they can run so much further than I'm trying, there must be some secret to it. So sure enough, then he started to look at uh, the books by Ridge Roll, Finding Ultra, and then Brendan Brazier's Thrive, and he also read Scott Jurek's uh, book, and he's obviously a, a very well-known ultra marathon runner, and he realised they're all plant-based, and he thought, okay, maybe that's maybe that's something I'll have to try, and I at the time was fairly, uh, I suppose I wouldn't say 
critical but ambivalent thinking oh this is this is going to be extreme you know we won't have our friends over to our house again you better just do this by yourself and I'm just going to watch and see what happens right <laughs> so you know he, he started to eat plant-based and he started to be able to run without the pain and he started to be able to enjoy his marathon training and do less training but get better results than he was before and then ultimately he managed to run the second marathon an hour and 10 minutes faster than the first and that really got my attention because can you just repeat that how much faster he ran that second marathon he ran it an hour and 10 minutes faster <laughs> which is people so i have been telling a story similar to this to my audiences um, for years and it was about a woman who actually went vegan to prove you couldn't finish a marathon on a vegan diet and so this woman had already run like 35 marathons and so she switches to this vegan plant-based whole food diet to prove that vegetables couldn't fuel you in a marathon and she knocked off an hour and a couple minutes off of her time. And, <laughs> and so now, of course, she's fully plant-based and has been ever since. But yeah. it it's is amazing, amazing, isn't it? Yeah. So then what happened to you in your thinking? And I'd really love to know, you know, when you talk about being ambivalent, because there's people all the time saying, hey, read this book on this subject or read this book on that subject or this is the cool latest new fad. And a lot of times we're just like, okay, whatever. I don't have time to learn about this. So you move from a place of ambivalence. Yes, to, to a place of passion. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Unbounded passion. Um, and the reason for that is, of course, because it works. And I, you know, I could see that it worked in my family and it worked for me as well uh, so when when I saw his results I decided to do my own research I started off with the books that he read and then I delved into the scientific research and I realized that there was a mountain of data and it's just something I'd not had attention drawn to before so it's not something that my medical school talked about and it's not something that any of the royal societies talked about so it's not something that I learned about so I certainly don't think it's any physician's fault for not knowing no. because uh, they may well not have even seen anything about it like I didn't. But um, once I did do the research and I did see a lot of uh, relevant studies to show that a whole foods plant based diet could not only improve athletic performance, but could also help prevent some of our leading chronic diseases of our time. I decided to give it a go. Um, in fact, I did it secretly. I didn't tell anybody because I didn't want to lose face. I thought, well, I'll just try it and see. And what was incredible was that I was a person in my 20s who um, had been overweight and had been able to lose weight using um, popular culture methods like just cutting the carbs and counting calories and exercising a lot. And mm -hmm. it was a lot of hard work, but I did manage to lose weight. However, my lipid profiles remained high. And I remember at the time I was in my 20s, I was running and I was getting bilateral knee pains. I was getting a lot of pain in my knees. And I didn't think it was healthy for me. So fast forward over 10 years later, and I've had two children and I'm not half as active and I'm you know, certainly not as dedicated to um, you know, health in that way. I decided, well, let's just try the plant-based diet. And within a month, my lipid profiles were completely normal. And I noticed that when I was running, I no longer had any knee pains. 
And I thought, you know what, this is actually working really well because uh, I myself, in common with many people in these studies, were, was able to maintain a healthy normal weight without worrying about caloric restriction and without worrying about calorie counting, just eating far more intuitively because I was eating whole natural foods, you know, close to the nature as possible, and my body was responding. So I could see the benefits for myself, for my family. Uh, you know, there was uh, there's people in my family that tried it. Their arth arthritis cleared up, diverticulitis improved, mm -hmm. chronic dental abscesses improved. You know, you know, these are things that you couldn't really, well, I certainly couldn't have anticipated. And then, of course, things got you know, really special when I started to have the courage then to talk to my patients about these changes and then see when they felt empowered, the changes that they were able to experience in their lives, which was just truly incredible. It was probably the, the most important change in my medical practice I've ever experienced. And I do do a lot of other things for my patients. I, you know, I love to investigate ways to be holistic in my care. I like to have as many things in my toolbox as possible, but I did find that the most powerful tool um, that I had used so far was uh, to, to, to sort of talk about plant-based nutrition. That is amazing. And I love that you, there's two points that I want to speak to. One is about the word intuition that you said you had. And the second one is the toolbox. And, you know, when we talk about changing our lifestyle over to a plant-based whole foods lifestyle, I mean, it doesn't mean you give up on, you know, surgeries or medications or, you know, Reiki or acupuncture or massage therapy or, you know, chiropractic care or anything. I mean, these are all things that we should have in our toolbox. So we pull the right tool out for the right issue. Like if you have an infection coursing through your body, you know, and it, your body just can't heal it on its own. Of course, you know, this is when we have to whip out the antibiotics, um, in, unless we know something else that's going to be more powerful from that. So I just want everybody who's listening to understand that this analogy of the toolbox is really, really, really important. It's important to fill up your toolbox. And now the second thing, is the word intuition. And we've talked about this before on a podcast um, with another guest. And, you know, you said, well, you use your intuition, you know, where you turn to the, the food being medicine. But do you really believe that in this day and age, uh, people have that ability to use their intuition around food because of all the marketing that's been done? Really, really good marketing. I think it's increasingly difficult. I read some studies. There was a study um, from UCL uh, around our food choices and there's around 15 conscious food choices that we make every day, according to the research, but there's also around 200 subconscious food choices that we make every day. And these are things that we have no conscious control over. So you know, where things are placed on the shelf, what kind of shop we're going to be able to go into, uh, poverty, um, the ability to be able to source healthy whole foods, um, if we felt down, if we didn't get much sleep, uh, what we grew up eating, what we have emotions associated with, um, what our friends eat, um, where our friends are going for dinner. Like, there's just, there are so many different variables that um, in a sense, it's not even just enough, I don't think, to educate people on healthy food choices. I think that um, societal changes have to happen as well. Uh, I was listening to a very interesting discussion with Dan Butner, the journalist 
for National Geographic who talks about the blue zones and being able to create certain blue zone states and blue zone cities mm-hmm. and how they do it and how they talk about minimizing junk food ads in, within a certain radius of certain low socioeconomic groups and these kinds of things that an individual would have no control over uh, mm-hmm. so I think it's hard. You have to get the right balance between empowering people to be able to make changes in their own lives, but also recognizing where there are vulnerabilities and where you can't expect people to take sole responsibility for the situation that they're in. Because, you know, we're in a, an environment where it, well, it is an obesogenic environment, quite frankly, you know, that that's yeah. what we're living in. And cancer rates are soaring, autoimmune diseases are soaring and heart disease is soaring. And I, I don't think it's fair to put individual responsibility on that. Uh, but my aim when I'm sitting face to face, one to one with a patient who's suffering is to give them a little bit more of a lifeline and say, look, if you could try this, then it might really help you and see how they get on. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. I love the the analogy that you use as well on your website in your about page where you say that, you know, you didn't want to be the person who was reaching into the river and pulling out people like extending your arm and trying to save them because, you know, at the end, you just can't do that and enough times and save enough people. But if you could be at the tributary and, you know, help people stand on their legs and, you know, maybe even step out of that river that's yes. raging down towards that waterfall and get them before they, you know, get a, can- a chronic disease diagnosis. Um, that's right. I, I love that quote. Um, I can't take personal credit. I think it was Archbishop Desmond Tutu that first yeah. said that, but <laughs> I love it. And I, I often refer to it because we just have to really do our best to figure out why people keep falling in. Yeah. And uh, once we, once we, once we kind of get a handle on that, then it just makes the whole process easier. And that's why I love being a GP because we have to take a, a step back and we have to look at the big picture and we have to see people from cradle to grave. I see, I see yes. newborn babies, pregnant women, um, young men, all the way through to elderly. And so it does give you a real insight into the trajectory of their lives and how you can sort of help them tweak things as and when. Yeah. And um, I think one of the reasons why that resonates so well with me as well is because I went down the pre-med school path and wrote my MCAT and started applying to med schools. And I said, going in, I want to be a gatekeeper. I want to be there. So when people arrive at the gate of health or gate of medicine or whatever it is that, you know, you could say, hey, there's other tools in the toolbox and have you considered this before the surgery have you considered this before the meds or you know preventative and then I realized I interviewed a lot of doctors to tell to let them know what I wanted to do I was in nutritional medicine reversing chronic disease using uh, metabolic nutritional therapy and they just said you're going to lose your license the minute you get it like you can't do that so that and so many doctors said that to me and then I started finding doctors who had lost their license because they recommended nutrition. And then they were, um, they were charged as being biased towards nutrients, despite the medical tests showing that the people did have deficiencies in several areas. But, you know, so I followed these doctors and, you know, and I didn't want to end up like that. And maybe I chickened out or I don't know what, but I ended up opening up plant-based restaurants instead and, you know, moving into the education world where I'm going to educate about this. So I'm still so fascinated every time I come across somebody like you, which is very rare, Gemma. I've already said that we need to clone you. We need to clone (laughs) you and put you in every city across every country in the world because 
I imagine when, like I have actually pictured you and your husband in bed and he's reading a book and he's telling you these, you know, facts that he's coming across and sharing stuff about plant-based nutrition. And you're looking at him and being like, what? And then all of a sudden you start doing it. But was there an existential crisis that you went through? What happened as you went from being a medical trained doctor who discovered that there was this world of plant-based education out there? So for me, there's, there's always been, um, a strong urge to, to try to think outside the box. Um, and I'm fortunate because I, I'm senior partner at an NHS GP surgery where I, I have some autonomy in terms of the patients I see. So I'm not in the UK. You can sometimes be a salaried GP or you can be a locum GP. And that means that you're employed by a, a practice rather than a partner, um, or you are going into practice on a sort of one or two session basis. And you don't necessarily know if you're going back. So for me, the stability in understanding my patient group helped me to be able to make suggestions. So on top of my uh, general practice training. So obviously we start out with you know, the medical degree and then we get experience in various different specialties before we end up picking one. I knew I wanted to be a general practitioner from the outset. So for me, it was relatively straightforward. I, I did all the subspecialty training that I felt was necessary for GP and then I did that. And so for me, I always knew that there was more to it than just tablets. I give mm -hmm. tablets, don't get me wrong. Um, but instinctively, I knew there was more to it because I had been familiar with the work of um, various sort of psychotherapists and people who were able to help people change their mindset towards healing. Mm -hmm. And so I'd studied solution focused brief therapeutic approaches. I'd studied different forms of meditation. It interested me on a personal level. And before I went to medical school, I studied religion. I studied um, various different religions as part of my pre-med training just because it was interesting to me so I feel like I knew there was more to the human mm. than just fixing the disease and I had tried to integrate some lifestyle advice prior to learning about plant-based nutrition but of course you know when you're not a dietitian or a nutritionist and you haven't you've, you perceive that you don't have the time to do this research then that's not so much of the practice so for me when i found out more about plant-based nutrition and i could see its benefits it wasn't that much of a transition to just make a suggestion here or there uh, and see what happened because i was giving the patients treatments anyway mm -hmm. so it was really an adjunct to what I was already doing. And then suddenly seeing accelerated results for them, which I just didn't expect. Like for example, I had one gentleman, well, I've had it many, many patients of the same story. Um, but the first time I noticed it was quite incredible that he could bring his blood pressure down from 180 over hundred millimeters of mercury to 122 over 80 millimeters of mercury. And all he had changed was what he put in his mouth. And that to me was just unbelievable. Uh, the first time it happened even though I've been trying various things over the years before that. So it wasn't so much an existential crisis as um, a eureka moment, because mm. when I started to see those benefits for my patients, um, I realized how powerful it could really be. And it's always so much easier to see it 
face to face with a real person. You can do hours of research and hours of studying of you know, epidemiological data and public health statistics and mechanistic data. But then when you've got a person in front of you whose life has been changed, that's the most powerful thing I could ever, ever see. That is, yeah, that's brilliant. So I love this Eureka moment that you had. So being someone who does, I do train physicians, but these physicians have been primed, like the scaffolding effect has been in place. The seeds have been planted for many a time. And then they come to me when they're like, okay, show me how to do it. How do I actually, you know, implement this? And so that's when we jump in. But I'm curious about how you actually do it inside the practice and i know you'd mentioned that you just gave a talk at a conference recently um, to physicians can you just tell us about that talk because we're going to run through that and you're you have a brilliant acronym as well you mentioned uh, that helps doctors remember how they can implement this in their practice yeah that's right so it was about a month ago we had a fantastic international plant-based nutrition conference and it was run by um, ProVeg international and it's called uh, VegMed. And it's um, it's very exciting because we had all the you know the, the famous American speakers came along. We had well not all of them, but we had uh, uh, Dr. Neil Bernard, Dr. Michael Clapper, Dr. Michael Greger, the incredible Brenda Davies dietitian, yeah. and myself, which was great, and uh, my colleague Dr. Shireen Kassam, who's a hematologist and who founded Plant Based Health Professionals. So we were all there um, talking about plant-based nutrition and it was the first time that this conference had been run in the UK so we were all tremendously excited and my role for the weekend so that I did two talks I did one for the general public and one for the health professionals and, and as you've rightly explained the health professionals talk was all about where to even begin with these kinds of conversations so my little acronym that I, I made um, is, is called blend it blend it okay and nice. easy to remember that's great <laughs> yes well i hope so <laughs> so what i'll do i mean i can i can just i can name each letter in blend it first so people get an idea of what it means yeah, and then i can go through each one in turn so uh blend it stands for believe for, for the b l is listen e is evoke n is no bossing d is desire and then it stands for information and timed. So mm -hmm. I'm going to go through each of those in turn to, to explain how I managed to implement these things in my uh, 10 minutes. And I'm actually, it seems more fortunate than a lot of doctors in the US because I have 10 minutes rather than seven and a half. So, yeah. yeah, you so. have a lot of time. 10 minutes, <laughs> Ten but, full minutes. <laughs> but this is what I love for all the doctors that are out there listening to this, you know, this is the work that Gemma is doing day in and day out. And so, you know, you jump on her website, learn everything you can from her and from this acronym, because if she can do it in 10 minutes, you can do it in 10 minutes. And, you know, the thing is you are going to, and maybe what you could do is talk about the benefits of doing this, because I know that, a lot of physicians have said to me, and I'm saying a lot, have said, well, the patient doesn't even want this information. They just want to not be sick. Yeah, well, I have to be honest and say I'm probably one of the happiest doctors I know. <laughs> because, Amazing. Because my patients get well and, you know, uh, there's nothing more powerful than that. So I understand that people are keen for quick fixes, but people are more keen to feel understood and to feel listened to. And if you can make someone feel understood and listened to, 
then they will want to take your advice and they will want to go and give it a try and they will want to not be rattling from all the tablets in their tummy and uh, you'll be the ha happier physician for it because um, you'll have helped them to empower themselves to health. So it's amazing. definitely worth it. <laughs> okay, amazing. I'm glad you touched on that. So let's dive into Blend It. Right. I want to know what every one of those letters means. All right, so Blend It, B, Believe. So a bit like these um, skeptical physicians and me and my ambivalence to start with, we have to believe, okay? <laughs> In order to help someone to change their lives, we have to believe that it's possible. So we have to believe that the patient is capable of change, um, but also we have to believe that the, the change we're recommending actually works. And that's important before you start. You know, they're going to sense that if you're saying something half-heartedly or, oh, well, you know, someone said this, then that they're not going to take it seriously. So B is for believe. And the reason I think this is so important is because your therapeutic relationship with your patient can itself have a healing effect. And I think a lot of people probably underestimate the effect that they can have on their patients. And it's a very powerful position that we're in as physicians uh, and we have to respect it. Um, and that, I, I think that a patient's more likely to change if you have that therapeutic relationship to lean back on. Um, and hopefully, you know, you might be able to see them again to sort of reinforce those changes. And it's true that, you know, every day we're, we're trying to encourage people to undergo uncomfortable procedures and blood tests and invasive um, procedures and medications that they've, they've got nasty side effects. And so we do have to believe that there's an ultimate benefit for these things for our patients to be willing to go through it. Um, yeah, so and I think it's important. I know that, you know, we've only got 10 minutes or seven minutes or eight minutes or whatever it is, but even in the first 10 seconds of an interaction, you, you can build a relationship with someone and then it infuses the rest of that consultation with a meaning response, which is arguably more powerful than the placebo response. Mm -hmm. um, so it's crucial. Be for believe. That's, that's number one. Um, and I talked about how I started to believe it. It was through my own research into the scientific data and it was through my own experience. So it's nice to have a combination of those things to fall back on. Um, and yeah, so my website will, sh will hopefully help. And there's other, other sort of um, uh, resources that people can access. Um, but yeah, there's, there's so much evidence now. So it's, I won't go into all of that, but be for believe. You have to believe it's, it's true um now what's the next bit i'm talking about the data here yeah there we go um ah yes so blend l is for look and listen so a little bit like i said earlier you know how when someone walks into the room you can sometimes get a feeling of about who they are um just by looking at them and it's the same you know they get the same thing when they look at you and so i hate to say it but we're all so rushed if you're not even looking at the person but you're looking at your computer and you're typing when they come in then it creates a first impression that again doesn't help with trying to help them with their behavior change so you you really take a good look not just not just as a social nicety but also for diagnostic purposes um so you know you, you look and you look into their eyes um i do this little technique where <laughs> i actually try to make make note of their eye color i don't sell them obviously because it would be very strange if i say oh you've got blue eyes sit down but it's just <laughs> it's a way of training myself 
disciplining myself to actually look at the person um because people they want to feel understood and listened to and they can't if you're not even looking at them it's so basic but yeah. it's something that we forget in you know when we get stressed and we're rushing and we just want to get through our list and we think we know what they need already and we don't often pay attention to those very basic skills so yeah it's really important to just look at them and and that look at them piece i think is really really powerful because i know dr abraham hoffer he's a, fam a famous canadian doctor who used vitamin c and niacin so vitamin b3 for uh, patients that were diagnosed with schizophrenia and he was able to reverse schizophrenia in thousands of people they would fly from all over to work with dr abraham hoffer and the doses that he'd be giving these patients were so such high like i could never take the, the dose like 50 milligrams of you know flushing uh niacin or b3 causes me to go bright red they were taking up to 3000 milligrams in a day but what was amazing is that he didn't just look at the patients and what he talked about is that prior to 1977 doctors were trained to touch the patient so when they come in you shake their hand but maybe put a hand on their arm because then you can see if their skin was warm cold clammy um, dry oily something like that but what he did he went a step further and then just touching them he would smell them and I thought this was interesting because he was able to pinpoint through a smell coming off of the crown of a patient's head, um, if they had schizophrenia, that they had this one odor that was very consistent with all people with schizophrenia or most people with schizophrenia. And then he would notice that once they were healed, they also wouldn't have that smell anymore. But I mean, how many doctors, you know, and I don't know how you do it. How would you smell them and be like, I'm just smelling you. <laughs> You know, I've not heard of that one. That's very interesting. It reminds yeah. me of a story I heard recently about this nurse who was able to smell Parkinson's disease. Yes. So, yes, um, I've read that too. Yeah, she she had well the the hypothesis is that she has a you know a very advanced sense of smell similar to a dog's sense of smell. Uh, and she was able to smell um I I'm, I can't remember what it was. There may be some specific protein that's released um when people have the this neurodegenerative disorder um but she smelt it first on her husband um and then for years she didn't know what the smell was and then they went mm. to um, a support group when he was finally diagnosed with parkinson's disease they went along to a support group and when she walked into the room she was overpowered by that same smell and she realized it was the smell of parkinson's disease and so then she spent you know she was part of research as to how 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 they could kind of isolate that skill <laughs> wow. um and use it therapeutically somehow to help detect parkinson's disease much much earlier than the clinical diagnosis it's very interesting i don't think that's something that that um we could perhaps train in medical school i'm not sure <laughs> i don't know but i definitely know there that we need to return to that form of training exactly like as you say that you need to listen and look um, and now with the way that it's designed is that, you know, I see how doctors behave and they're forced to behave that way because of it, their relationship to the insurance company. So now everything's on the computer. You have to fill out a form, you know, and so of course having to do that in your seven and a half to 10 minutes is distracting and it takes away from your ability to look at the patient. So it's, the system is also designed to 
I don't know, take doctors, you know, remove that ability of doctors to do that. So they need to fight back and say, no, 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 I am going to just take the extra second to figure out what color their eyes are, if that's all it takes, you know, and then they're at least observing their patient. And in another book I read um, in How Doctors Think, I read that there was a study done that showed that most doctors claim to make a decision on the patient's diagnosis within 18 seconds of them walking in the door. Yeah. I thought was interesting. So there is a level of intuition coming into it and they're not always wrong when that happens, but I think we need to do a little bit more than just simply be like, I've got my diagnosis. I'm going to touch them. I'm going to smell them. I'm going to look into their eyes and I might even smell their breath. Like that's, you know, could be one thing too. Cause I think our breath can tell a lot about our health as well. Yes, it can. <laughs> If we could do it subtly. Exactly. <laughs> you have halitosis. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, well, okay. I think, I think it sort of draws in. I mean, yes, ex- you've exactly sort of put that in a really good way. You know, we we look at them, we pay attention to the non-visual um, and visual cues and also some reflective listening. And I think that's part of the look and listen of my blended mnemonic, you know, you, you have to hear what they say and then you have to infer meaning from their words and then wait for them to sort of confirm or reject what you think that they have said. And this helps them to really feel listened to and it helps us to actually really listen. Yeah. <laughs> so, so when someone thinks they've come to a diagnosis in 18 seconds, they may not have the right diagnosis. Um, and I would also suggest that, you know, if you let someone just talk, for the f- it seems like it would go on forever especially with some people when they've got a long shopping list of problems and especially if they're lonely and that they don't get much mm-hmm. chance to speak to people you might feel slightly stressed at the, uh, the possibility of not interrupting but i promise you that usually within within the first 120 seconds of the consult they will have finished talking and you'll have a far greater idea about what's going on. So it only really takes about two minutes for them to talk themselves out um, and much less than that. That's the absolute maximum for for most people. So it it is worth your time to just let them talk so that you are looking at them, you are listening, you are taking in what they say. And then when you're reflectively listening, um, you can you can reflect those things back to them. So they feel you've understood and you fully understood. So um, I don't know, let me give you an example. I've got one here. So say someone says to you, oh, I've been feeling so tired lately. I can't face making myself dinner when I get home from work. And then you say, oh, okay. Um, You've been too exhausted to cook. So you're kind of asking them a question to sort of Mm -hmm. embellish what they've said. And then they'll say, yes, and I used to love cooking, but I just collapse in front of the TV now. And then I go to bed too late and I can't wake up with the alarm. And then you kind of make a guess. You kind of infer something from what they're saying. So you might say something like, oh, so you're feeling overwhelmed. You know, you you, you kind of take it that step further. And then, you know, she might say, I just want my life back. I want to enjoy cooking again, get up when I'm supposed to start having a social life. And so in that, she is defining what she feels she needs, which she hadn't necessarily realized before she came in. And you are defining what you are able to help her with. So you're figuring out the things that are important to them to help them make a change. And this is so important because, like I say, it helps people feel understood. Um, 
they actually studies show that it makes patients feel that you've actually spent longer with them than you really have as well so even though it feels like it's taking longer for you it also feels like it's taking longer for them and it actually isn't (laughs) which is a brilliant win-win right (laughs) that is amazing and actually that exact uh thing happened to me when i had built out our third restaurant i had a two-year-old on my hip i had two other little girls um running around and you know helping me build restaurants and i walked in there and i said oh my gosh i've got this lab requisition but it's a year old so a lab requisition that was a year old i hadn't made it in but so i'd had these symptoms starting a year before and I ate well, I had these restaurants, the doctors, you know, it's a small town. So everybody knows that I have these restaurants that are, you know, fully plant-based, whole food, organic. And so, you know, she let me just rattle on. I'm like, I'm so busy. I have to go pick up my kid. How fast can I get this done? Do I need to get a new lab requisition? I'm talking a million miles a minute. And she just put my file down and she was like, Nikki, I need you to slow down. And I want you to go get this blood work down, done. I have a feeling it's not going to come back positive, which it didn't. My inflammatory markers were through the roof. They were quite scared, actually. Um, and I had to get a heart test because I was having these heart palpitations. I was having these, you know, night sweats that, you know, and I was, you know, I'm only, I think I was like 38 or 39 at the time. But it was amazing because what she did is she just put her hands on my shoulders and she's like, Nikki, you know what you need to do. One of the things is slow down. The second thing is to eat the food you serve at your restaurant because I have a feeling you're not eating, which was true. I wasn't. I was going through day, like the whole day not eating and then staying up late. And she said, just implement what it is that you teach. And I kind of just stopped and looked around. I was like, who is this crazy lady? Like, but that's what she did. She let me <laughs> rattle on for probably not more than a minute and a half, which, you know, I can fit in a lot of words in a minute and a half. So it probably <laughs> felt like forever. But the fact that she did that is that I went and had the test done. They came back not good. I called into work and told all my staff, I said, you know what? I got to take a time out here for 30 days. And I implemented what I teach my clients to reverse their chronic diseases. Within three days, my inflammatory markers were normal. My heart palpitations were gone. I was having no more night sweats. But imagine if every doctor could do that for their patients. Just imagine. Just imagine what this world would look like. We would not see, you know, 60% of North Americans with a chronic disease. And I don't know what the rates are in the UK, but they're definitely getting up there as well. Yeah, they really are. Um, And it's a shame because a lot of the developing world is also um, emulating our way of life, which is not good. Um, But anyway, so let me move on. Yeah, this is amazing. So we're on (laughs) E for blend it. Yes, we are. Wow, you're following along. (laughs) I am. I'm taking notes here. (laughs) Okay, so the blend it, E is evoke. Okay, so you need to basically get your patient to find a way to imagine a better future self. Uh, And this is another powerful tool in your toolbox. Um, So um, it would be things like asking questions like, how will it feel when you can dot, 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 you know, sort of, um, when you have less pain, uh, what kind of things would you enjoy doing? Um, and also trying to help them look for coping strategies that, that they've used in the past. So you can say things like when you've had this pain before, what has helped you to feel better in the past? Mm. Um, 
and these kinds of questions they're quite empowering because they help the person to engage their imagination um they engage their imagination about what might be possible what could be possible as well as memories of when they succeeded in the past and this is hugely empowering for people and it doesn't take very long it's just a few very simple questions to help them formulate and remember that they can be powerful in their own lives and they can formulate a new plan and they can remember old things that worked and they can hopefully combine the two so so that's just another really simple tip that many people forget or don't realize that, that, that can actually tremendously help their patients um so yeah evoke that's what evoke means um then we come to d uh, what was it blend n no n, bossing yeah. no bossing so the n is no bossing and this is the hardest part for me. This is the absolute hardest part. <laughs> I bet, right? Because you probably just want to take them home and cook for them. You're going to be like, you're going to eat this. <laughs> I know. But, you know, I think it's probably the hardest one for most, most doctors because people who enter the healing profession, they have a powerful desire to fix things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and obviously a desire to promote well-being. Uh, and prevent harm and set things right and so we're sorely tempted to say listen to me I know what you need um, but no it doesn't work it just doesn't work um, and the most useful advice I've ever been given as a doctor was when someone told me to take my ego out of the consultation hmm. completely let go of the outcome um, so we have to take our ego out of the room and let go of the outcome. And sometimes it's very difficult because it doesn't mean that we don't care about our patient when we do this, but rather it offers them the very real autonomy to make the decision for change themselves. It becomes their choice, not your choice. Um, and so, I mean, and this is important for a couple of reasons. So the first reason that it's important to make them feel autonomy, that it's their choice, is that it's a natural human tendency to resist persuasion. Mm. Um, it's, I mean, you know, it doesn't matter how many times you, you, you see an alcoholic and, and they've been told many times, you know, you should really cut back on the booze. Um, or, you know, you have a diabetic patient and they've been told by their doctor, you should stop eating biscuits. You know that, don't you? <laughs> um, see, you know, because when someone's doing something unhealthy, um, there's, there's, there's an internal battle going on subconsciously. Uh, part of them recognizes that the behavior harms their health, but another part of them resists the change. Mm -hmm. So when you, as the physician, verbalize one half of this internal dilemma, they will instinctively reach for the other half of the dilemma and speak it. And here lies the second point is that we tend to believe what we hear ourselves say. Mm -hmm. so, so for example, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. Say someone walks in and they want to lose weight. Okay. And the doctor says to them, if you exercise more, it would help you to lose weight and it would improve your mood. Exercise helps people get slimmer and feel better. I've yes. heard that commercial before. Yes. <laughs> yes, it's all very true. And then the patient will say, yes, I know. But I can't help thinking that if I exercise with this arthritis, I'm going to make the pain worse. Even gentle exercise, I, I feel like it's just going to make the pain worse. Mm -hmm. um, 
Or for example, the, the, the diligent doctor could say, whole foods plant-based diets have been shown to be excellent for helping patients to reverse type two diabetes. You should cut out meat and dairy and see how your blood sugars respond. <laughs> um, yes, they should. Um, <laughs> yeah. But the patient, the patient will say, yeah, but it will just be too hard. I need meat for protein. I hate cooking. None of my family would eat this rabbit food anyway. Yeah. So, so you see, the more we talk about the disadvantages of change, the more committed we become to staying the same. And that's why no bossing is so important. Uh, and it, you know, it's, it's key for any physician. And it's, it's a very difficult thing to wrap your head around. I can say so, that from personal experience. Exactly. And I mean, this is great. You know, if we were a parenting podcast, this would be really great advice too. And uh, it's just something that I've only learned recently how to do with my kids is to like, we can preach at them. We can tell them how, you know, tough the world is. We can tell them how they need to be careful and, you know, about the strangers at night that they come across when they're taking the bus home. I have a 15 year old. So we're kind of in that world now. And, you know, and my, I have a great business coach and, and she just taught me something that was really brilliant. And she was, she just said, you know, let the person be in their emotion, let them be in their state, let them just be. And instead of trying to drive the message home and you let them be, and you just say, so how does that feel? And what are you going to do about it? And then all of a sudden they are now no longer focusing on the problem, they're actually, their brain switches on to focusing on the solution. But if I yeah. tried to give the solution, then I can see what you're saying, that they would grapple with that, you know, that other aspect of like, well, I'm not going to change. Yeah, so. exactly. And, and, and the irony is, <laughs> the, yeah, if you talk to your patients in a way that would force them to defend what they're currently doing, you're actually reducing the chance that they'll change their behavior. <laughs> right. So what do you do then? So a patient comes in, they have high blood pressure, high cholesterol, they have, um, you know, they're on whatever they have, uh, you know, uh, arthritis, they are young because I'm seeing a lot of people who are like 35 and 40 with all of these symptoms. Um, you know, they're potentially overweight. Um, you know, what do you say to them? They come in there. How do you, how so do you get them to change? Well, you, uh, the, the main strategy I would say on this is that you have to reflect resistance, reflect resistance. So, okay. um, okay. So let's, let's take the alcohol example. Um, if you've got someone who's drinking too much, right. And you know, they are, and they know they are. Mm -hmm. So, um, you can say, tell me about your drinking habits and, uh, they'll say, oh, well, I do drink most days. Um, but not that much really. Um, maybe five or six beers on my way home from work. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and you're thinking that's way too much. Um, but you don't say that you say, what do you think about drinking that much? Mm. What do you think? And uh, they'll say, well, I don't really think about it, actually. Um, hmm. Well, maybe sometimes I think, you know, I'm getting older and I should cut back. And then you just say, what have you noticed? And that gives them the chance to think about what they've noticed. And they'll mm -hmm. say, oh, well, uh, these stomach pains um, and I'm not that sharp in the mornings. And so you're beginning to get them to voice that they have thought that they should cut back. And you've also got them to highlight some symptoms that they have as a result of their addiction. And that's come from them. You see, that's come wow. from them, not you. Um, and 
it's useful information because then it helps them to begin to want to change. Uh, but you don't need to do this with everybody. This, this mnemonic helps you uh, if you're in a situation where people are, you know, you, you're sensing that there could be some future resistance or you're ex experiencing resistance already. You need to change tack. Mm -hmm. Some people come in and they're desperate. Yeah, you know, they don't, like, they tell don't, me what to do. Tell me. They were like, tell me what to do. And then you just tell them what to do. It's really easy. I love easy. those people. I love them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you don't have to go through this whole rigmarole with everybody. Yeah. But, you know, it's very useful as, 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 as tools for people who you think, hmm, they want help, they need help, but they haven't received it yet. And this, this is, this is where, where it comes in useful because when you're reflecting resistance and getting them to vocalize what they want to change, you're also coming to the D in my blended mnemonic, which is desire, mm -hmm. desire. So, it, it, you know, it's pretty obvious that the patient needs to want to change, uh, but also you need to want to help them. And this, again, this, this is not an ego thing. It's about, you know, you want, you have to want to help them change as well. And that comes back to the therapeutic relationship. So the D in desire is you have to want to help them and they have to want to help themselves uh, in order for real change to happen. Um, so, yeah. So, so in terms of the actual physician, um, how do we, how do we get the desire to want to help? You know, we're stressed out. We've got too many patients waiting. You just want to get through the day. Sometimes it's really hard, but you know, we, we have to come back to our, our need, our desire to, uh, to be healers at the end of the day. That's what, you know, that's what we came into medicine for. So I hate to say it, but we have to try to find something to like about the person. Mm. Um, maybe even make it a habit to try to find something to genuinely compliment about them. Um, because this boosts your motivation for helping them and also means they're likely to ask you for advice when the time comes or when, when they're more more receptive mm -hmm. so you know but it has to be genuine like you can't fake it you can't just think oh you know i'm just going to pretend to like them no you have to really dig deep and think you know is there something that i can relate to in this person uh, that can sort of help me desire to help them uh and pay a compliment if it's appropriate so I don't know, things like, you know, you could say, you know, what gave you the courage to decide you wanted to change? So then you're telling them that they're courageous, you know, or um, something, you know, oh, it can be hard to cook new recipes. That's so creative, you know, so you're, you're basically noticing something and then reflecting it back to them to help them feel good about their future. Um, and you have to consolidate their desire for change. So you want the desire to change has to be in you and you have to try and evoke their desire for change too. So you do that again by reflecting change talk. So you combat the bossing by reflecting resistance mm -hmm. and, you com and you combat the desire by reflecting change talk. So what does that mean? Well, it basically means you're actively looking for flowers that are growing in the meadows of their words and when you see them you pick them out and then you give them back to them this lovely beautiful bouquet yeah. <laughs> so so i can't let me give you an i don't know is there an example but but you sort of you pick out oh so you wanted to change the amount that you drank or oh so you, you decided that you would check out that yoga class or whatever it is just to help remind them that they did want this and that they're going to keep going um, that yeah. is amazing. And so a couple of things that come to mind with all of this. Number one, 
Gemma, you need to teach this in medical schools. This needs to be a course in itself within medical schools, because what I see here is I'm picking up pieces that probably should be included in the curriculum. And when I was choosing medical schools, I looked at Ireland, I looked at the Philippines, I looked at Australia and the US and Canada and the Caribbean, everywhere. And I went through all of their curriculum, like all the curriculum. And I you like to, to do you like to do your research, don't you? <laughs> yes, I like to do my research. <laughs> yeah, I know people. I, I guess I do. And in fact, when I applied, I got a tennis scholarship to play in the U.S. Um, out of high school, and I think I applied to, or I researched 180 universities, something ridiculous. How many universities I researched before I finally. Um, said yes because it had to all line up perfectly but I hear myself saying this and that sounds crazy but I wanted to know like if I was going to move my family I was choosing the best possible school that would give me the best possible outcomes um, of being the kind of doctor I wanted to be so I saw a lot missing number one nutrition was missing from all, most of curriculums of most universities around the world they don't teach nutrition um, for the most part but what I'm seeing here is that number one I can see it not being that difficult to affect change in the medical school curriculum, Buddhism probably could be brought in, right? Releasing of the ego, um, letting go. Positive psychology and behavior change should definitely be taught. You know, there's probably some ethics that need to be taught in a much deeper way. Um, but you're just, it's interesting because I think that could be the next, you know, not that I'm trying to boss you into it right now, but... <laughs> <laughs> it might be that you have to design a new course um, about how to create health um, in a 10 minute, you know, uh, or meeting with a patient. Well, I hope I hope that there are physicians listening who take it in and, you know, maybe maybe there'll be an opportunity to teach medical students. In fact, I taught medical students yesterday, um, but it's it was not it was not so much a, an official curriculum as a lifestyle medicine um, talk because luckily in the UK, there is a lot more awareness of lifestyle and how it can impact health, which is fantastic. And that the future medical students, are so, they're so passionate about it. So I can see real change coming. Uh, but yes, my talk was for the Lifestyle Medicine Society, not for the medical school. But anyway, right. yeah, you're going to get day, there. Maybe. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and because at the end of the day, the people will figure out the how to do it and the what is entailed in making these lifestyle changes, but uncovering their limiting beliefs. And like you said, that exercises, you know, it's a, we do a similar exercise with my clients that, you know, we ask them, what would you do if you had unlimited energy right now? If I could just wave a, wave a magic wand and you had unlimited energy, like your muscles were strong, your body was vibrant, you weren't taking any medications, you know, you literally could do anything. And it's amazing what pours forth, like pours forth from these, you know, individuals. Like I would go back to school. I quit this job that I hate. I would, you know, make love to my partner, you know, on a weekly basis instead of an annual basis. I would play with my kids more. I remember when dad, one dad said that he's like, I would play with my kids. Oh, and that exercise well, is so powerful. It's brilliant. It, I, I use something very similar. It's called the miracle question. Mm. Uh, it's the same thing. I, I'll get them to imagine that you know that they were they've gone to bed at night, and uh, whilst they were sleeping, and the whole house is quiet, a miracle has happened. But because they're sleeping, they're not aware that a miracle has happened. Mm -hmm. And the miracle is that all the problems that they came with were just melted away. And then when they wake up in the morning, what would they notice that would tell them that a miracle has happened? 
and then you get them to go through when they wake up and what they're doing and what they notice and who they're spending the day with and yeah it's the same thing it's the it's, it's the very same thing and it just it helps to engage their imagination um which is you know really important but this doesn't get taught uh, but then you know we don't really get taught to be doctors either at medical school that's the funny thing mm. like i remember my first job as a it's different here and it's it's different here now to what it was when i was doing it too because it's been a while but i was what they call a house officer at that time and that's where you, you're basically I, I don't know if it's called an intern where you oh, are yeah intern like the, yeah the very the, the youngest doctor that's, that's yeah. just starting after out. you've done your yeah two years of medical school then you go into your clinical trials and then your uh, clinical um rounds and then you are an intern and then you're a resident right so in my first you know my first week or two as an intern equivalent you know i was absolutely petrified i had no idea how to be a doctor <laughs> um so you know i think probably things have changed i'm hoping that they have but um there's lots that we don't get taught and that's and in a way that's kind of okay because yeah. you know we only have a certain amount of years and there's only a certain amount of things that we can actually learn and you know, gastroenterologists don't learn how to do colonoscopes at medical school you know there's things that it's continuous learning that we do undergo and that's okay um but um yeah basic foundations would be nice so yeah I did get I did get quite a lot of communication skills training at my medical school to be fair mm-hmm. um which I'm really grateful for um but many of us also learn these skills and then forget them over time when 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 real clinical practice sets in and real problems set in and yeah. you, know, the, you know the the limitations of of the of the consultation paradigm so these are things that we could either learn for the first time or remember and implement um so so we've gone through blend and the next thing is it blend it so it basically stands for i for information so once you've got to the stage where you think they're going to be receptive or they're indeed asking you or even begging you for things that they can do then that's the point at which you can give them information to help them on their journey so you you can ask you say you know would you like me to give you some information do you like recipe books or do you prefer um you know online resources and you know you can give them specific breakfast lunch and dinner ideas and um resources that you think will appeal to them specifically so obviously you know game changers is, is very very relevant to men yeah you know, which uh, i'm so endlessly grateful for because Me men are, have often been <laughs> quite far behind in this whole healthy eating um uh trend so yes game changers for example um or you know forks over knives or pcrm or my website or any number of things yeah. where you think okay uh, and the certain types of cooking and people people who don't like to cook it's really interesting because this is another thing about socioeconomic class and what's available and what people can buy i had a patient who couldn't afford very much was eating ready meals at home that were heated up in the microwave so i told him about a healthier ready meal that he could buy which he did and he was able to bring his insulin needs down by two thirds just by changing the ready meal that he bought so optimally everybody would be cooking at home but you have to pitch your advice based on their emotional and um financial bandwidth so to speak exactly yeah yeah. and that happened yeah one doctor did that in town and it was actually fantastic because there was a very very 
um, busy realtor who literally traveling 24 seven. And for 20 years, he was on the precipice of, you know, either a heart attack or something in his um, he had the highest uh, cholesterol levels that she had ever seen. His blood pressure was through the roof. He didn't want to take the medications. So he was constantly back and forth with that. And finally, she just was like, you know what? Go eat at the Green Mustache, which is the name of our restaurant. Just eat there. I want you to eat there for three weeks, three meals a day, because I know you don't have time to cook. I know you're not going to make it home in time for your wife's cooking, and we don't want you eating that anyway. And that's what he did. And for the first time in 20 years, his blood pressure normalized. His um, cholesterol levels came right down, and he was like on fire. He was like, I have so much energy. And that's all it took was the doctor <laughs> saying, I just want you to go eat at that restaurant. And she knew he could afford it. Right. So that's the thing where you have to look at the financial state of your patient as well um, and just understand what you're asking them to do. But I mean, anybody can watch a documentary and we know the forks over knives. I think almost every single person who comes to me says, I'm here because I watch forks over knives. Right. It's, it's a phenomenon, isn't it? And yeah. I think you know, we, we need to recognize the power of, 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 of film to evoke people's imaginations, which is what, you know, obviously I'm trying to get people to do in the consultation room as well, but yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's so crucial. That's amazing. Um, so tea. So, uh, tea is time frame or timed, timed information. So, so you basically have to get them to think, to think specifically about when they're going to act because you could watch a documentary and think, oh, that was interesting. And then nothing changes. Mm -hmm. uh, and the same thing, you know, when you're, if you're in a doctor's office, you could say, unless you're really desperate and keen for change yourself, um, and hopefully by this stage they are, it can just be very easy to slip back into old habits. So you help them by asking them, you know, when are you, when do you feel able to make the first step? And, you know, do you prefer to change one meal each week or do you prefer to make a more dramatic change and see your blood pressure improving more quickly or for, you know for example um, and what this does is this solidifies the prospect of change and also helps them to go into action mode rather than slipping back into the ambivalence that you know i used to experience a long time ago so um yeah that's that's really important so you, you, know, you get them to get their diary out or you get them to make a specific plan about what they're going to do each week and what specific things they're hoping to achieve um, it's a basic thing, uh, but mm -hmm. it just really works. And that's, the, that's the last part of blend it. And, you know, if you've reached that point, then it's hopefully plain sailing and they'll come back and tell you that they've made some great changes, but it's quite nice to be able to offer them that accountability as well. You're there as part of that therapeutic relationship, hopefully to be able to say, okay, well, let's see you again in this much time. And you told me that this is what you're going to do by then. And it just helps them to sort of, you know, spring into action basically. And so that is amazing. Yeah, that's it. And how was this talk received at the VegMed International Conference? It was received really well. Um, yeah, there was, I, also, I also did a, a video recording of some of my own patients talking about their changes. So it was a five minute video as part of the presentation where people got to see this most incredible um, transformation in people. They talked about what changes they've been able to make. And that had, I mean, it gets me every time I watch it, I kind of guess, oh. Wow. Um, uh, but the, you know, the audience were quite captivated by that because they could see that these are normal people, yeah. old, uh, middle-aged, um, you know, none of them were actually particularly young or athletic um, or, you know, what you would think of as being the paradigm of health. But the point is they were able, able to make incredible changes to their own life experience and their symptoms by changing what they ate. So yes, it was received really 
uh, enthusiastically and uh, made me very happy. Yeah, that's incredible. And I imagine it was. And you have such a kind way of delivering it as well that, you know, I've seen some doctors' presentations and they do have a lot of their ego involved. And it's almost like I'm so amazing because I know and I discovered plant medicine. And then I see, watch people's reaction to it. And it's almost like because their ego is still in there, that almost turns their listeners off to the idea of exploring what plant-based medicine is. So I think it's important for people to... um, you know, understand that there's also different methodologies and ways that you can deliver a presentation. That video is a brilliant idea. Um, I did the same recently. I was just in Kansas this weekend uh, presenting at this uh, uh, charity uh, fundraiser called the Who is Carter Foundation. And everything that you're teaching, it doesn't just apply to general practitioners who are, you know, they're at the tributary or at the gate and their patients come in. It applies to all fields of medicine because at the end of the day, there are more tools in the toolbox that you can pull from. And so this conference that I was speaking at was um, all about traumatic brain injury in children. And apparently in the U.S., every 40 seconds, a child enters the emergency room with a traumatic brain injury. It is, you know, whether it's a concussion or whether it's from a virus or whether it's from, you know, whatever it is. And um, I've experienced it myself with my daughter. And what happened with my daughter is that she almost died. Luckily, because I'm a fighter and a researcher, I really was like, I'm not leaving here until you like solve this. And of course, they discovered she had meningitis and they didn't even want to listen to my story because of the fact that um, she had been vaccinated and we were very healthy and she'd never, you know, really been in to see doctors even for a common cold. And, you know, it had been five days of trying to get her diagnosed. So at this conference, when I was speaking, um, it was the same thing. I talked about the case studies that I've had with um, clients who've had um, concussions with clients that had Down syndrome and heart disease and, you know, and how they were able to overcome their doctor's prognosis and prognoses um, and do things like that truly are seen as miracles, but that's not what they were. They weren't miracles. It's the fact that, um, you know, with me working with them and their medical team and their medical team implemented everything that you said and blend it, um, that they were able to give their patients options. And then they tried those options and got these miraculous results, but they're the kind of results that everybody can get if they just had a doctor using this blended methodology. Um, and you know, and you can do it in 10 minutes. It's amazing the changes that you can have. And so I just want to say it does not just apply to practitioners who are wanting to get their patients to eat better and make lifestyle changes, you know, around getting, stopping smoking or, um, lowering their alcohol consumption. Would you agree? Yes, I think I would agree. (laughs) It's it's a useful tool for life, to be honest with you. It's a useful tool in your interactions with all sorts of people. And, you know, sometimes I catch myself because I don't use my blended mnemonic sometimes when I'm with my Mm. um, with my children. I have two boys and, uh, you know, sometimes they have their own minds and I have my own mind and they don't always uh, match. And so, you know, it's again it's it's sort of an, a real lesson in being humble and being able to meet people where they're at and think okay you know i need to take a step back and and that's when this kind of tool is actually really useful even when you're dealing you know yeah. with with love with loved ones exactly anybody who you can see you know it would be beneficial if they made some changes but you know like you said you can't boss them into it and you can't force them or persuade them into it so no it's quite brilliant um now, I know that there's going to be people who are saying, okay, 
you know, Gemma, you're the plant-based doctor. And I know, like I mentioned at the beginning that they have all these questions around, you know, the keto diet, go to the ritual podcast. You talk eloquently about the keto diet and paleo and, you know, macronutrients and micronutrients. So I want everybody to dive into that podcast with ritual and Gemma, and I'll put lots of other links to other podcasts that you've done as well, which have been brilliant. Um, one thing that I have to ask you about is I was at another conference and I was talking about the work that I do and, you know, having great conversations. And then there was this one medical doctor who I could see that like the hair on her back was standing up and, or the hair on her neck. I made her sound like a, a grizzly bear, um, but the hair <laughs> on her neck was standing up and um, you could just see her getting really agitated. And finally on the third day, she decided to sit down and have lunch with me. And pretty much what she just drilled into was, people need protein. The only place you can get protein is meat. And like she was, and she really like, what's your background? You're not a medical doctor. What gives you the right to, you know? And so that was fine. And I was definitely like, you know, I was getting flushed and I was getting, there was no way I could have remembered this blended, um, you know, talk um, and been able to implement, but you could probably use this. And do you use this when you're talking to other doctors? So, well, yes. I mean, the short answer is yes. Uh, and it's interesting because, you know, when someone is angry, then it also shows that um, they have a very strong emotional investment in a current way of thinking. So it's actually going to be very difficult to dissuade somebody when they're in that particular state of mind um, because they've got their, you know, their reptilian brain, their amygdalas firing off. And you're not going to convince anyone of anything when they're feeling that way. And so when you have that kind of situation, it's very much, um, well, first of all, you know that, you know, that they're emotionally invested in their, in their position and there will be probably an element of cognitive dissonance. But secondly, uh, you just have to give them time to sort of talk about their point of view and, 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 and just listen. Uh, she obviously felt very emotionally invested in her position and it doesn't matter what you say at that point my only advice in that kind of situation would be just to listen and make her feel like you've really listened and thank her for, for talking to you um and then offer to talk about it perhaps another day uh, you know when she's feeling more relaxed um because when emotions are high uh, you're not going to get anywhere and also sometimes I hate to say this, but sometimes everyone's on their own journey and you can plant a seed, but you can't always see that seed growing into a tree. And mm. somebody like that, um, if you try too hard to convince them uh, that there's also another psychological uh, truth about humans. And then, uh, which is that the, the more evidence you see that counters your current emotional belief, the more entrenched you become in that belief. Mm -hmm. So, at that point, I think listing reeling off studies is is only useful if someone else is listening and could perhaps benefit from what you're saying. So, so it would be it would be useful if they had if you had an audience and you wanted to to you know help them to understand the nuances in in you know in the studies or your point of view. It's not useful for the person because they're already in in their own emotional state. And do you encounter that um, much in your field with colleagues as well? Um, 
less in my day-to-day practice because I run a very small NHS practice. I'm a senior partner and I have lovely patients and a lovely partner who is very supportive of the things that I do. So I'm very, very fortunate that that's the situation I'm in. Not everybody's in that situation. And for those of you who are not in the fortunate position that I'm in, all I can say is you are well within nutritional guidelines to suggest plant-based nutrition and here's why the american college of lifestyle medicine talks about plant-based nutrition as the mainstay of nutritional therapy the canadian food guidelines came out this year and are just beautiful very much plant-based no dairy minimized the meat and you you can see from the plate that meat is definitely not necessary or quintessential to the plate uh, we have the planetary health guidelines that came out this year, but you know, headed up by one of the most prestigious nutritional professors in the world, Dr. Professor Walter Willett, uh, talking about planetary health diets, which will help to sustain, you know, the billions of people on this planet in the years to come with the, with the limited resources that we have and emphasizes a plant-based diet. We have the American Dietetic Association saying that plant-based diets are uh, safe if they are, you know, well-planned and and um, nutritionally adequate for every stage of the life cycle. The same with the British Dietetic Association. In fact, they are doing this thing called the One Blue Dot campaign, which is specifically helping people to make more plant-based choices, both for their own health, but also the sustainability of the planet. So you don't have to feel like you are extreme or you are niche or you are saying something crazy. Luckily, guidelines are beginning to catch up. The American College of Cardiology talks about plant-based diets as being one of the number one prevention choices for heart disease. You've got the American um, College of, I think, is it the clinical endocrinologists? Yes. Uh, They talk about plant-based diets as being one of the best ways of prevention of of diabetes. So this is not niche anymore. You can Mm -hmm. feel safe. You can feel safe. You have guidelines now, thankfully, that have caught up with some of the evidence. It takes about 15 years or more for guidelines to catch up with evidence. And you know, there's lots of stuff that we could be probably implementing now that we don't because things take a long time to catch up. But luckily, we're at the point now where it is completely within the realms of, I would say, normalcy to talk about plant-based nutrition. So don't be afraid. You're not going to lose your license. Why would you? Yeah, that is, you know, I think that's going to be very profound for a lot of the practitioners that I know that I deal with um, that have hesitation. They don't know how to implement it. Um, They don't have time to dive into the research. So the guidelines are really, really helpful because, you know, we know doctors are busy and often at the end of the day seeing, you know, dozens and dozens of patients and they're working on charts and, um, you know, we know that their time is limited. So are they going to sit down and read 50 journal articles? Um, probably not. And as well, you need to read them well and understand if it's good science or bad science. So that's hard, but these guidelines are out there. We're going to put links to all, everything that you mentioned, um, which is incredible. I thank you for the uh, feedback on how to communicate when somebody is very resistant and even angry. I think that's important for a lot of people to know, especially when one person in the family as well this doesn't just apply to physicians but when one person in the family wants to make the changes and the other person is saying that's ludicrous and crazy right and also when i have clients and i get their oncology reports from their oncologists and these 
oncologist write things in 2019 and literally word for word that says, I advise my patient not to change their diet to a plant-based diet because it'll cause too much stress on their body and in their family life. And diet has nothing to do with disease. Literally, those words are written on dozens of oncology reports that I get back from um, clients that I have that um, have cancer, that have all different types of um, illnesses. And it is that makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up because the evidence is there. But I think um, coming from another doctor and have you say that so eloquently, we're going to reference all of those guidelines in the show notes as well. Um, and it's going to take time. People are going to have to ease into it if they really don't see a relationship between diet and health. And like, yeah, I mean, that, and that's okay. It's just, it's, it's part of, you know, learning, but, but as I say, it took time for me to, to sort of read through things and understand it. But I think if you can, if you can show enthusiasm and care for your patient at the same time as making these suggestions, then you'll start to see for yourself. That's the mm -hmm. thing that's going to convince you is when you see for yourself, the changes that they have made, that is the biggest thing that will help drive you towards more, um, more sustainable practice for yourself. And it's yeah. so easy for physicians to burn out these days because it can feel relentless um, and again, this isn't something to put more pressure on you. This is just simple techniques. If you can put them in the back of your mind, it's something that you can draw out when you're feeling a bit hopeless and the consultation is really going in the wrong direction. Just, you know, it just helps to have one of these little things to say to people and it helps you in your clinical practice. You feel more empowered. You feel more um, like you're actually making a difference to people. And then when you see the results, you know, there's no stopping you. Yeah, that's brilliant, brilliant advice. Um, we have been together for an hour and a half now, and I can definitely chat with you for about six more hours, but I know it's late for you in the UK. Um, <laughs> I do have a whole swath of, uh, you know, other questions that I'd love to dive into. And we may come back and, you know, get into the nitty gritty of um, plant-based eating because, you know, hearing it a second and a third time in separate podcasts is always great as well. So if people don't get over to the ritual podcast, which I encourage you to do, well, I might have to have you back on the show, Gemma, and um, dive deeper into the conversation. Um, but one question that I do have for you to wrap things up is, well, two things. I want for you to tell the audience, the listeners, um, where they can get in contact with you and your information, um, anything that you might be promoting, um, any events that you might have coming up that you would love to share with our audience. But before you do that, I would love to know if you had a magic wand, if you can go to sleep tonight and you could wake up in the morning and magic could have happened, where, 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 where in the world or in your life um, or in your profession, it could be anywhere, where would you like to see magic happen and how? Hmm. Well, I've got planetary health on my mind right now. So <laughs> what, I would, what I would like to see when I wake up is that as a as a as a country and hopefully in other countries too we will begin to embrace the principles of regenerative agriculture um we'll be able to see um fruits and vegetables subsidized rather than meat and dairy um, we would see people not needing medications for their chronic diseases um and i would see a lot more happy patients coming in for medication reviews, bringing their medications down, feeling great. Um, yeah, I, I would love to see that. Um, 
it does concern me that we are in the middle of you know the sixth mass extinction event um you know and, and the oceans are depleted and um you know we've got sort of nearly 60 billion land animals killed every year and that affects our our soil it affects the seas and this is you know our children's future so that's something that plays on my mind so the miracle i would like to see is that many many more of us are eating plant-based feeling better for it and conserving the planet that we are healthily able to live on that would be amazing that would be really amazing. I'd be forever grateful. And I think that this last piece is something that everybody really needs to understand is that uh, Gemma's wish, her miracle is actually well within our grasp. It can start with the next meal that you choose to make. It can start with, you know, the way you manage your organic waste and where it goes and that, you know, we put it back into the soil so we can replenish the soil and the microbiome. I mean, that's a whole nother topic that we didn't even get to dive into, but this is well within our grasp for us to have profound change on the earth on an environmental uh, level, on a social level, on a health level, on a chronic disease level. Uh, our mission is to help 22 million people reverse chronic disease. And yeah, we're doing it for health, but we're actually doing it because we know if we can get 22 million people to switch to plant-based whole food eating, we know the implications that that will have on a global scale, on an environmental scale, um, on a social scale as well. You know, we can talk about the slaughterhouses and, you know, how that affects communities, their mental health as well. And so, I mean, we're talking about so many different systems. It's all one complete system, but some of us still think in siloed thinking and that we have these different systems, but we can affect change in all of those systems simultaneously by making these dietary lifestyle changes. That would be the real miracle, is if every one of us remembered that we were all connected and that we were all one and that, you know, what happens to one happens to the rest of us. That that would be the ultimate wonderful thing. That would be amazing. So how do people get in touch with you, Gemma? Right. So probably Instagram at plantpowerdoctor is the best way. Or you can check out my website, gemmanewman.com and i'm on twitter but i don't go on there really very much so it's probably best not to try and contact okay. me through twitter <laughs> um and well i've just done the big med veg med conference and i've also just done the big veg fest and i've also just done the revolution last weekend so all the big events that were coming up have now been done and christmas is around the corner so i don't have any events now but i am going to be speaking at the berlin veg med in 2020 Okay. And I'm going to be doing a sort of a variety of uh, veganuary events in January. I'm going to so 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 yes, check out my Instagram if you want details of future events where you can come and meet me and talk more about the incredible power of plant-based nutrition. Amazing! And what if people want to come see you as a patient? Is you are you chocker block full? I. I, I'm busy, but I do have some openings if someone wants to consult with me. Um, I have to say I'm not licensed to be a physician for anyone outside of the UK, but I am able to do health coaching. So if somebody is absolutely desperate to um, have a consultation, it would be in the form of a health coach if you're outside of the UK. 
Amazing. That is incredible. I imagine that when all of this information gets out there and, you know, your phone would be ringing off the hook if you start offering that up to everybody, because like I said, <laughs> you are a gem. I know that, you know, the U.S. has, you know, several plant-based doctors. Canada has more up-and-coming plant-based doctors. They're still getting their, their toes wet and trying to see the miracles for themselves that can happen in their offices when they encourage their patients to go plant so as they get more comfortable, um, you know, really um, finding out a way to support their patients. I mean, we're going to just see more and more plant-based doctors pop up, but you are a gem literally out there. I think your name is very appropriate for you. And I just want to thank you so much for oh. being on our show and for all the work it's, that you do in this world. It's my absolute joy. And I want to thank you as well. Thank you for inviting me and thank you for all that you do. Let's keep going let's keep going that's right that's right <laughs> hey everyone was i not right was this not one of the most intriguing podcasts that you've listened to where truly that information can be shared with medical doctors across the globe it will hopefully entice them to look at the plant-based nutrition science that exists out there it will inspire them to look at behavior change theories and principles that they can apply in their medical practice. It'll hopefully inspire them to look at positive psychology or cognitive psychology theories and practices and methods that can be used that empower their patients to take action. Because at the end of the day, the information shared by Dr. Newman can be used even when your doctor, when your patients or your clients want to simply just take medication or do the surgery and that's okay too because if that's what they feel is the option for them right now that's okay but one of the biggest issues that we face in the medical system is compliance people don't follow what their doctors say about taking their medications correctly about doing the other lifestyle changes that their doctors might suggest would help with them. So really what Dr. Newman is suggesting is that if we applied this to all areas of our life within medicine, or if you're a nutritionist or healthcare worker, uh, it doesn't matter what field of health you're in, you can apply this, but you can also apply what she's taught us. If you're a parent, if you are a leader in an organization, if you manage projects in your organization as an employee, you can really apply all of these principles so that we can evoke change and the desire to change and create autonomy in people where they're gonna just naturally wanna do the right thing. So, hope you enjoyed this podcast. Like I said, share this information with everyone that you know, you can change a life by doing so just simply by igniting a spark of curiosity by igniting one piece of information i call this one piece of information that can change a life it's a gold nugget and you want to share gold nuggets with those people in your life strangers people you know who are sick loved ones family are the hardest to change but really all you have to do is direct them to a podcast and see what they think they'll form their own opinion but at least you know you did something. So thanks again for being with us. It has been a pleasure having Dr. Newman on the show. Stay tuned for our next podcast that'll be coming out. It's going to be exciting as we talk about DNA and understanding your genes. So eat well and do well. Bye-bye.